Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. Right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for ghostwriter Helen Pollock. I just thought, right, I'm slogging away, not making enough money. I've tried everything. It's time to do something new. So that's what I did. And oh, my word, the sense of relief instantly. Never forget that you don't get sick pay, you don't get holiday pay, pension. So make sure you're A, taking that into account and B, charging what you're worth. Never, ever forget to do business development. Schedule it in all too often if we're busy. Sales and marketing tends to go out of the window and then three, six months down the line, you're like, oh crap, I haven't got any customers. Yeah, so there is Helen, who is a freelance goat... (laughs) Freelance goat writer? (laughs) Sadly not. She's a freelance ghost writer and book coach. Uh, So looking forward to finding out all about her business. By the way, we recorded this in... um, uh, Well, I guess it was like the first week of the schools being off. Uh, when all the schools in the UK were closed for the coronavirus outbreak. So I really appreciated Helen taking the time. We we just managed to record in the evening because we've both been looking after our kids during the day. Come and join us in the Being Freelance community. More than ever right now, we need to not just be alone, but be with other people who get what we're going through, both in life and as freelancers. So come join us, Being Freelance community. Click the link at beingfreelance.com. I'll see you in there. And if you like what I'm doing with Being Freelance, please do consider leaving a review. Uh, Consider sharing it with other people. Maybe you're writing a blog post. Maybe you're chatting to them online. Maybe you're simply writing a tweet or a LinkedIn post or whatever. Please do help spread the word. I appreciate that. Help as many people as we can with all of this stuff. And you can even shout me some biscuits to go with my coffee. You don't have to. Don't expect it. But for everybody who does and leaves nice messages, I really appreciate it. If you want to support the show, you can go to beingfreelance.com slash coffee and you can buy me either a one-off donation of biscuits or a monthly one anyway enough about that let's crack on shall we and chat to this week's guest that is freelance ghostwriter and book coach helen pollock hey helen hi steve thank you so much for doing this okay as ever how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance sure thanks so much for having me on the show um so as far back as the early noughties, friends of mine will remember me saying, oh, I'd like to have a portfolio lifestyle, Um, um, (laughs) which sounds really naff now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm amazed they knew what you meant, or maybe they didn't. Well, I would always swiftly follow that with a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of something else. So fundamentally, I'm someone who gets bored quite easily. And I love variety in my life. So um, uh, working freelance really appealed to me. And also, I was sick of working for Egypts. So um, <laughs> not all of them. <laughs> I hasten to add, I'm very good friends with many of my former bosses. But there were some notable stinkers. And it just makes such it makes your life a misery really so when I had my daughter I think you know for many women in particular but but also um, for many men too having a family 
changes your priorities. And for me, there was no way that I wanted to go back to a corporate job, nine to five, um, and only you know, really see my child awake at the weekends, because that's the really the reality if you do work full time in a corporate job. So what did you figure you'd do? So um, I knew I didn't want to go back to my corporate job after I had my daughter. So during that year of maternity leave, I was looking out for other options. And my background was marketing and PR, but also my degree was French and Italian. So and I love languages. I speak several other languages as well. So I did a bit of after school, primary school, French club teaching and at the same time, I kept hearing on the news, oh, we don't have enough Mandarin Chinese speakers. It's holding the UK economy back and that sort of thing. So I looked for people who were teaching you know, after school, primary school Mandarin. And there didn't seem to be many people doing that. So I thought, I'll do that then. Um, so that was that was what I did. I set up my own business, Little Dragons Teaching Mandarin. Um, alongside a part-time PR job. Um, And I did that for five years. Part-time in-house? No, part-time at an agency. In their building or were you able to work remotely? Um, I worked from an office initially and then I was Mm -hmm. able to work from home because it was a satellite office hundreds of miles from the, um, the head office. So eventually they decided well you know there's only a couple there's literally a couple of people at this office they might as well work from home so so I did. Cool so you had then a taste of working remotely but for Mm -hmm. other people Mm -hmm. uh, but also from running your own business. Mm. How did it evolve from there? I was made redundant um, when I was oh blimey it was like (laughs) 10 days before my second child was born no. yeah yeah yeah. and it, you know it, it was typical agency life I'm sure loads of your listeners can um, relate to this and probably particularly at the moment but the agency lost its major client that made up 80% of its work and they hadn't put the effort into business development um, and then, you know, so this main client, the marketing director who we worked with left, a new one came in, an absolutely classic scenario, brought their own preferred agencies in. <laughs> so everyone was made redundant. And uh, again, so people have this thought that being employed is much more secure than being self-employed. And, you know, I have to say, with what's going on at the moment, yes, being self-employed isn't, isn't looking great in many ways uh, compared to normal employment. But most of the time, actually, having, you know, having been through redundancy and the recession as well, the last recession, uh, I don't really see that um, being for working for yourself and being freelance is that much less secure than employment mm. so what did you decide to do then so you, you were still doing the mandarin lessons little dragons at this time yeah i was um so i carried on with that 
Um, and then about, I think it was like about the end of 2017, there'd been several things that had happened in a short space of time. And I tweaked that business model every which way. It wasn't happening. There wasn't enough profit. There wasn't enough meat in the sandwich for me to be the middleman. And I just thought, right, I'm slogging away, not making enough money. I've tried everything. It's time to do something new. And so I just decided to set up my own marketing and PR consultancy because I'd always done a bit of that freelance anyway, alongside Little Dragons, even after I was made redundant. So that's what I did. And oh, my word, the sense of relief instantly was um, amazing. It felt so right. (laughs) And did you decide to stop doing Little Dragons? Yes. Right. And when you were doing Little Dragons, because you you sort of used the word middleman, were Mm. you using other Mandarin teachers? Yeah. As well? I don't speak great Mandarin. I certainly don't have Mandarin that's good enough to teach anywhere past maybe like a term of primary Mandarin. So Uh, what I always did was employed people who did. So um, who did have, you know, fluent Mandarin. So, yes, that was it. There wasn't enough because Mandarin teachers are far fewer you know, in number than, say, French or Spanish teachers and expect more money as a result. And then finding actual, actually decent uh, Mandarin teachers who who can teach, you know, the average British kid in yeah. a primary school well um, was also a real struggle. But then the parents or schools didn't want to pay any more for Mandarin than they would for any other language. So fundamentally, it was uh, right. a bit tricky. Interesting, but I so I I had misunderstood that I thought you were teaching it, but actually you were, and obviously as freelancers we're all businesses, but that really was a different type of business. In that you know there was a model, you were hiring people, yeah, and so on and so forth. So this time you think, okay, there's no there's no middleman. I am the person providing the service. PR. Yeah, and do you know what? It was such a it, that was also a relief that because actually dealing with um, the teachers who I was employing was the biggest headache. Uh, you know, it, it's it's just really hard. It does suggest an entrepreneurial spirit, though. Oh, definitely, yeah. But I'm intrigued as to what happened next because I introduced you as a a ghostwriter and a book coach. So yes. <laughs> so it seems like from 2017 to now, which is like only two and a half years, we. We, we have some way to go. So what happened next? The first thing I did was get in touch with everyone I knew. Um, you know, friends, family, everyone I'd ever worked for with, um, just to tell them this is what I was now doing. And someone who I already worked for a, a bit, but in a different capacity, <laughs> which we'll come to possibly in a bit, um, he asked me if I would be prepared to write a book for him because he was already an Amazon best-selling author in his field but he was now too busy to write this second book 
But he was also a podcaster and he wanted me to create a series about this particular topic. Um, So there were, you know, that was researching the themes and um, finding guests for each theme. And then each theme, which was usually two episodes of the podcast, I'd take the transcripts and turn that um, into a chapter of the book. So I did that and absolutely loved it. And that also became an Amazon bestseller. That's how that got started. <laughs> so you were doing the PR consultancy mm. and doing the ghostwriting on the side of that. Yeah, I mean, so I, because... Um, Your portfolio career finally coming. <laughs> oh, totally. You have no idea, honestly. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the reason I went into PR so I'd worked I've worked in every element of the marketing mix um but PR was the bit that I loved the most and I decided fairly you know the year after graduation yes PR sounds great you can get paid for writing that sounded amazing to me because I just love writing so so yeah (laughs) so what happened did you find success with the PR are you still doing that now? Did we simply miss that off? Um, I don't do so much of the speaking to editors and securing features and the contacting influencers and that kind of thing. I literally just do the writing now. So if I'd have interviewed you, mm. you know, two, two or so years ago for this mm. podcast... I'd have introduced you as a freelance PR consultant. Yeah. And obviously I didn't do that today. So have we got to where we are today? You just mm. gradually moved more towards one thing? Well, when I'd done that, when I'd go through in the first book, then that author recommended me to somebody else he knew who was who needed a book ghostwritten. It was her first book. They were in the same space. So I did that. Then I had people approaching me who said, I really want some help, but I do want to write it myself. So I said, well, okay, uh, I could coach you. So I put together a series of resources and, you know, I have video calls with my with my authors and just help them through the process to get to a kind of draft final manuscript stage. Um, so, so that was how I ended up book coaching as well. And I adore book coaching because it's so rewarding when people come to you and they're really overwhelmed and they're like, I really want to write a book. I know, and I only do business and nonfiction books at this point. But, you know, they know it's going to have benefits for their profile and they're going to be able to um, you know, secure more high profile speaking opportunities and it's going to enhance their credibility and authority. But they don't know where to start. And it's so rewarding to help to give them some structure and break things down for them so it doesn't look like Mount Everest anymore. It's a series of molehills that are manageable (laughs) (laughs) and so um how did you go about pricing that so um the average to ghostwrite a book is between five and eight thousand pounds 
generally for a uh, business or non-fiction book because they're generally certainly business books are often fairly short um the average and non- is that sorry. is that like a statistic that is available online for example yeah the average non-fiction book is 30 to fifty thousand words that's um if you if so you... that's what you based it on yes right if it's more of a literary non-fiction work um, and getting up um, in you know, maybe 80,000 words, then you might need to charge a little bit more. And then when it came to the coaching, mm. how, how did you position yourself there, both like pricing? Did, mm. did you like create different packages, that, you know, depending on how hands-on you were? How did you go about it? It's really, it's the same offering over two different time spans. So the average time to write a book is three to six months. So for people who, you know, want to get this done in a hurry, it's 1500 quid, chargeable in three installments of 500 pounds. And we have like two video calls a month. And over the course of the three months, receive 18 emailed resources as well. And there's some copy review in there too. Um, Whereas my six month people, so it's same 1500 quid, but it's 250 quid a month. Um, and that's one video call a month, but the same 18 resources just spread out a bit. Um, so these frequently. are resources that you you spent time creating once, but now you just you get to send them out again and again to each Correct. student, as it were. Yeah, right. that's right. And I mean, I'm always optimizing them. It's not like it's like, oh, yeah, that's done end of. Mm. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I did the the graft at the beginning with my first book coaching client and now I can just roll it out again and again and again. How do you go about marketing that? It sounded like it initially sort of kicked off through referral, one entrepreneur Mm. speaking to another, speaking to another. Yeah. So ironically, my first book coaching client is someone who is a friend. But my, my first, you know, never met this person before book coaching client had actually or she had come to my notice because she wanted to be on my first ghostwriting author's podcast and she'd approached me because I was securing guests for this particular series um anyway she wasn't right her profile wasn't quite right to be a guest on that podcast so I had to turn her down but later when she saw um, I changed my um, LinkedIn profile to reflect the fact that now rather than being a PR consultancy, actually, I uh, was um, a, a ghostwriter and, and book coach. She, yeah, she direct messaged me on LinkedIn and said, can we have a chat about this? I'm writing a book and I've got stuck. And I oh. really am denied because in my head, this book coaching program was for people who hadn't started writing yet she was 10,000 words in and I did say that to her at the time I said I'm you know I'm a bit worried that this might not be relevant for you because this wasn't you know you're not who I'm I was aiming for anyway she was happy to go ahead in in any case and she was delighted with our work and that book has recently been published literally a couple of weeks ago got loads of five-star reviews on Amazon 
And I know I was instrumental in helping this author to create a really great structure for this book um, and helping her to refine exactly what her audience needed. Um, and like, I came up with the title. I've, I came up with the, the chapter headings um, as well. So it's just really, really rewarding to see and satisfying to see that the, the I you know I can see that the work that I did has made this book a success. When it comes to the ghostwriting side of your business, like. I mean, lots of us, myself included for that matter, we do work that we can't put in our portfolio because it's kind of like behind closed doors. It happens to me a lot. But for you, you can't even... I can still say, you know, maybe I've done something for this company. But for you, you you kind of can't. Can you? So, like, how how do you go about proving your... <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm. How, how do you get over that hurdle? I think um, it really depends on the author. So... I've worked with the first ghostwriting author for um, four years now in various different capacities. So he's someone who, you know, I consider, he's definitely, well, I know he considers me a friend too. We're actually quite close now. So he would not stand in my way if a, a ghostwriting prospect asks me, so, you know, what have you written? I think on a one-to-one basis, I think that's okay. You know, I, I know that's fine with him. I would have to ask other ghostwriting clients, is it okay if? But sometimes you can, you know, co as a ghostwriter, you can co-write with people and be named. And generally, then you'll have a cut of the royalties rather than just be paid to write. But as I work in business and non-fiction, royalties not really <laughs> much of a consideration it's more about enhancing authority so you you can tell people about it one-on-one -on -one, mm. but um but you can't necessarily put it on your website speaking of which actually mm. you you kind of use a business name now right yes the content doc as in doctor yes when did you start being the content doc only about nine months ago. Ah, so how did that come about? So I was doing some, um, I did some market research when I was deciding that, you know, I was going to push the ghostwriting and the book coaching. That was, you know, what I really wanted to transition into, niche down into. And so um, it was when I was conducting research and a business owner uh, who's also a friend of mine said to me, oh, it's like my mind was chaos when it came to content creation. And now it's calm. It's, you should be like the content shrink. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that is brilliant. But I don't know, it didn't feel quite right. But then I looked at, you know, the content doc and um, it is kind of, you know, first aid for content. <laughs> first aid for writing, that's what I do. And and how has that made a, a difference for you? Yes, it has. Absolutely. So in June last year, I think it was, I overhauled my LinkedIn profile. 
I, yeah, I've been on LinkedIn for years. I actually had over 500 connections, but I, you know, it was by accident <laughs> rather than design. <laughs> Um, and I followed the fabulous John Esperians. Uh, John's a friend oh of mine. Oh my God, yes. And he gives away so much brilliant free content on LinkedIn about LinkedIn. And he has a kind of uh, free PDF, how to sort your LinkedIn profile profile document out. And that's what I did. And I am not joking. Within... like a day or two of doing that I already started getting direct messages from people who are interested including my book coaching that book coaching client it was amazing wow um by the way I'll put a link to John Esperian's episode in uh, at beingfreelance.com uh, we spoke to John for the last season so uh and in fact he's doing a live Q&A in the being freelance community as well he's, oh, um, as he put it as he puts it relentlessly helpful isn't that his he genuinely uh, his is slogan? relentlessly yeah. helpful and he's just a lovely guy and so you know he's he's a technical copywriter so we're we're like cousins i guess in <laughs> In you the- have you have a few you, a few times now you've said oh that, this person who's a friend of mine your business owner friend um part of me starts to think how come she's got so many friends who are business owners is that from simply like networking online being in communities is it going to conferences uh i don't know you just a magnet a bit like <laughs> do you know what i so me and first ghostwriting client um, I said this to him a couple of months ago. He and I are very similar in in some respects, and one of those respects is we are both collectors of and connectors of good people. So I'm always when I you know when I meet someone, I think oh they're great, and I really like what they're doing. I remember them, and I will put them in touch with people who I think you know they could that who, who they ought to have a chat with it's just something that i've i've done for a number of years so gradually over time you build up a a network of connections do do you go to conferences no huh i thought this was this this might be a way that you you meet potential entrepreneurs who might want to write a book so that's interesting probably but do you know what i, I i've got two young children it's we're only coming out of the the dark years, you know, <laughs> the early years of darkness. <laughs> they're, 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 they're in school now. You can kind of breathe a bit, but not entirely. Well, he's the youngest one isn't even, he's, he's four. He goes to school in September, but he's always been a terrible sleeper, even you know, really until very, very recently. And even now he's not brilliant. So I don't know. I'm just, I've, don't have the energy although to be fair maybe a conference would actually be like a break yes a weekend away yeah there you go um (laughs) how do you cope with work-life balance actually since you've mentioned them um so i you know yeah work from home so i have to say um in terms of like coronavirus situation me and the other half for us it's not that different because he works from home a couple of days a week. I work from home all the time. Um, so 
we're taking it in shifts. He works in the mornings at the moment and I work in the afternoons and whoever's not working is is teaching and looking after the kiddos. Um, but um, yeah, I can always take the kids to school or nursery. I, I generally work three to four days a week, but school hours. So that fits in really well. And then do you do anything in the evening or weekends or you, you, you manage to contain it within the school hours? No, I'm, I do quite often have to do a bit, a little bit in the, the in the evenings. I have made a conscious effort to try and maintain some boundaries though. So now, no way am I working past nine o'clock. So I need some downtime. So... I need at least an hour or two to watch the telly, read, whatever it might be. And so how do you manage your your workload? Mm. Is it something, I mean, I'm guessing with the coaching clients, that's something where you can have multiple ones at a time, whereas ghostwriting and book must be pretty, you know, much more intense. Yeah, I could only have one ghostwriting client at a time because you really need to immerse yourself in their story in order to tell it well. But with the book coaching, I could have, I'd say, up to probably 10 at a time. So and that's my that's probably my goal is to have somewhere between five and 10 book coaching clients at any one time. That would be amazing. And then would a ghostwriting project be as and when it comes along? Or yeah. uh, or do you have a regular stream of them? no. No, I don't have a regular stream of ghostwriting clients. It's, to be fair, first of all, I'm not massively pushing ghostwriting. If people ask me, I will consider it, but book coaching is where it's at for me. I see. So you started with the, go- uh, with the ghostwriting, mm. but now you're seeing a better, a better fit yeah. and an ability to help more people, but also get a good balance for yourself. Absolutely. So yeah. um, I think... Yeah, I, I I feel I love writing, so I do enjoy ghostwriting. But yes, yeah, certainly in terms of profitability and and the ability to have a positive impact on more people, book coaching does appeal more. In your current business, have you taken any lessons out of what you did with the Mandarin, for example, or what you did when you were an agency and you saw the mistakes that they may have made? Absolutely, yeah. I think, I mean, I know there's a book with this title, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, Profit First, which sounds, I don't know, sounds really mercenary. And, and anyone who knows me will tell you, I'm, I'm really, I'm not materialistic at all. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably like wearing a, a dress that's, I know seven years old or something I don't tend to do you know what I mean I'm I'm not someone who follows fashion I don't need stuff I'm just not materialistic and I give so much to people but I also have been guilty of a a classic freelancer mistake which is undercharging not charging what I'm worth and bearing in mind I'm 45 and um, I've got like decades of experience in PR and stuff. 
And um, yeah, it was a, a, a friend of mine, another friend of mine, um, who works in PR. And she's worked generally in the public sector, whereas I haven't. I've worked in, in the private industry. She's like, she's telling me about her day rate and and stuff. And I'm like, what? And like, this was only about a year ago or something, or maybe two years ago. And um, yeah, so that is the biggest mistake. Never forget that you don't get sick pay. You don't get holiday pay. You don't get your, you know, your pension paid for. You don't get any benefits. So make sure you're ta- a taking that into account and b charging what you're worth. Now I always do this thing. What else for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me, Helen? Okay. I once dated a fire eater. <laughs> I am Vic Reeves' second cousin. Ooh. My first job was at Vogue magazine. What did you do at Vogue magazine? I started work experience there on my 16th birthday. And I'm pretty sure <laughs> that was... they. I had to go for an interview at Christmas yeah. for a one-week placement in June. And I'm pretty sure the only reason I got the gig was because I said I went to St. Martin's and I think they thought I meant Central St. Martins in London, when actually I meant St. Martins Independent Day School for Girls in Solihull. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than St. Martins, uh, is it the art college? Yeah, famous art and design college, but loads of fashion people go there, I think. Vic Reeves is your second cousin. So yeah, Vic Reeves, big star here in the UK. Very, very funny, big comedian. Have you ever met him or is it simply the fact of knowing that that's the case? I have never met him, but I know he was my my late grandma's cousin's son. But yeah, I sent him a letter. Did you? Never bastard well replied. I hope I, I'm allowed to swear. <laughs> <laughs> but but what, what did the letter say? It's like, hi. I mean, you know, I was in my like late teens at the time, you know, which was when he was at the height of his fame. Cult following. Yeah. Um, and one uh, one episode, they introduced Vic and Bob as Leamington Spa's best known light entertainers. <laughs> I thought, well, I'm, I need to send him a letter saying, well, um, funnily enough, you've actually got a relative in Leamington Spa. Even though you're actually from North Allerton. But anyway. Um, <laughs> and f- you dated a fire eater. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah, actually, now you mention it, I'm intrigued. Hope this isn't too personal and it's not what some people are thinking. Um, but, like, did they taste of petrol? Isn't the way it works that, like, they're constantly, like, dousing their mouths in fuel, flammable liquid? Yeah, it was more sort of slightly singed <laughs> I would say <laughs> so it, it was like kissing a marshmallow but a bit a bit too close to a bonfire yeah yeah I guess so <laughs> I think like judicious use of mouthwash was called for put it that way <laughs> okay I, I mean so Vogue may I mean, okay, clearly any of them could be made up, 
but I don't see where the Fire Eater one would come from if that wasn't true. Whereas Vic Reeves, I can see that one, where that one would come from because, as you say, you're from Leamington Spa. If you'd have seen that on the TV, then it would have registered with you, but maybe you're not actually related. Vogue magazine is just a lovely story, and I'm disappointed if that's not true. So I'm going to say Vic Reeves is the lie. You are not correct. <laughs> ah, which is cool, though, because you are related to Vic Reeves. I am related to Vic Reeves. In that case, you've never dated a fire eater. Correct. <laughs> now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I think it's probably what I said before, just profit first, don't undercharge, but also... And I think this this goes back to um, the agency that I worked for when I was made redundant. Business development, never, ever forget to do business development. Schedule it in. No matter how busy you are, schedule business development in and make sure you do it consistently. Because, you know, as marketers, we should probably know that um, <laughs> consistency is key but all too often if we're busy sales and marketing tends to go out of the window and then three six months down the line you're like oh crap I haven't got any customers what does business development look like for you now right now um well I mean in general in life mm. not at this particular nightmare coronavirus as we record this point it's the same it's to to um to be honest um so LinkedIn, uh, I decided was my primary social media channel because I'm a big believer in kind of following the Pareto principle and concentrating on one social media channel, doing it really well, and then maybe you can add another one. But if you spread yourself too thinly, you're just going to be overwhelmed and not do what you need to do. So I started creating videos for LinkedIn in about September and I knew I knew that I needed to do that probably since about like June or July but it took me a few months to summon the courage. So how often do you make videos for LinkedIn what sort of thing do you do? So I mean, they're, they're short videos so they're maybe like three minutes they usually tackle something like a, a, a pain point um, for my clients so how do you find the time to write your book? Or uh, how long should your book be? Just kind of useful information. I did a little series recently about the most common errors that I come across in when I'm reviewing clients' writing. Um, just, yeah, helpful things. Always, I try and write a blog post off the back of it, stick it on the website. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what I do. But Blimey, since I, I've started posting every day on LinkedIn, not a video every day, but a video once a week at least, and I've yeah posted at least five days a week on LinkedIn, and I've just stuck at it. And in the last few months, it's been crazy, like the week before half term, so sort of mid-February one week I had three women get in touch with me who wanted to um, talk to me about their book and the week of half term seven women got in touch with me on LinkedIn 
It's like, what? So, and I don't need that many, you know, I don't need, I haven't got the capacity for that many clients, but all these leads, it's fantastic. So it kicked off quite quickly. There wasn't like a period where you were thinking, huh, is this working? No, for me, I saw results as as soon as I overhauled my LinkedIn profile, I started seeing results. And that was purely, you know, writing a nice headline and a decent about section and, and getting as clear as I could on my avatar, my customer avatar as well. Because I've, I've always struggled, even, you know, even though I'm a, a blinking marketer, the, the thought of having a customer avatar that's quite narrow and then nobody else would be interested was something it took me a long time to get my tiny mind around it's like no Helen that is like that is the tar that's the the bullseye on the target that's your ideal customer avatar but then there are people in in the other rings who so my ideal customer is a female entrepreneur uh, probably 45 to 55. She's probably got older or grown-up children. But actually, in those outer rings, men, men of a similar age might get in touch. Younger women, older. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just about sorting in your head who you're talking to out. Because those are your perfect people. And so when you had that vision of that person in your head, it helps you create the content. Yes. Even if it does speak to other people. Absolutely. Hmm. So so that and that's one of the things that I teach people when I'm um when I'm coaching them as well. For for books or for more general business content, it is first thing you need to get your head around is who am I writing this for and what do they need from me? What do they need this um, you know this book or, or this blog post or whatever to tell them and then starting to do the videos and then um, I started I did Helen Pritchard's LinkedIn free five-day sprint challenge in January and that has just made things go crazy so I now send between 10 and 15 connection requests to my ideal customer avatar every day even at the weekends no message ah so you track people down who you think would be good and then reach out to them yeah but without a message without a message just hit and connect yeah and seeing what happens because my headline on my profile should say it all so they should you know when my connection request comes up they will be able to see exactly what i do for my headline and know yes this is someone i want to connect with or no i don't and so there's no like agonizing over a really naff message, which is slightly like, I don't know, I don't know, uneasy. <laughs> Makes you feel slightly uneasy yeah. even thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Helen, it's been so good speaking to you. Thank you so much. Go to beingfreelance.com and click through and find out about the content doc about Helen and her work. And, uh, and of course, how you can reach out to her online. Sounds like LinkedIn is probably the best place. I don't know where I'm getting that idea from. <laughs> uh, go to beingfreelance.com. Of course, if you're also a freelance parent like myself with Helen R, uh, then you'll probably want to check out the other podcast I co-host, which is Doing It For The Kids. Search that wherever you get your podcasts. It's called Doing It For The Kids. It's just a 20-minute Q&A 
Um, it's fun, uh, but it's been accused of being helpful as well. So please do search for that as well. And join us in the Being Freelance community. There's a link at beingfreelance.com. But for now, Helen, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been my absolute pleasure. <laughs>